Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. I love the idea of just like, this week's endgame requires a periodic table. I know. <laughs> yeah. Did not expect this. Uh... What can I say? It's something different for what we've been doing recently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which are the movies well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by my co-host, right in red rum with crayon in the corner of the room. It's Craig McDonald. You okay, Craig? That's such a weird slant to insinuate that I've just gone insane. Like, what gives? Well, it's a a subtle reference to today's film. Yeah, but but like, people are going to be... People are going to be dragged in such the wrong direction by you using that as the reference for me. I apologise to everyone who genuinely thought we might be discussing uh, The Shining or Doctor Sleep today, because that is not what's going to be happening. Well, there is an episode title, I'll remind you. But also, if they've listened to last time's episode and just, yeah, the last, the recent sort of slew of like horror and crazy stuff, I'm assuming maybe they just thought, well, yeah, maybe Craig's just gone insane now maybe it's happened i mean there's a, there's only one common theme between every episode we've done and my declining sanity and i don't think it's got anything to do with the films now would it david <laughs> we'll see how today goes yeah. especially so craig uh let's waste no time then in uh get into how we are talking about today's film what we checked out last time and, and what today's film is so, after discussing uh, the divisive, and by that I mean causing a rift in our friendship film of Showgirls, uh, you faced our guest Mary in the endgame, and if I were to believe correctly, you lost. So, Mary chose the film that she wanted to bring forward, and she wanted to bring forward this film that you seem to have a particularly difficult time at pronouncing. So, As opposed to me say what film we're going to discuss this time, I'm going to get you to do it this time. So, David, what film are we discussing this time? The Neon Demon. Maybe it is neon. Maybe there's something about that is like sort of tripping me. Sometimes that does happen. What, you think that all movie titles should be phonetically following? Yeah. What an odd take. <laughs> I was talking before I was talking before about this podcast about just trying to shorten people's names as like short as possible to keep it like one syllable. So that's uh that's how I how I like to do it. Yeah, just call it neon. I'm surprised you haven't just gone the full Monty Python route and just gone knee. <laughs> yeah. I see twenty or thirty girls come in here every day from small towns with big dreams. Some girls crack under the pressure. You, you're going to be great. 
What's it feel like? You walk into a room. It's like in the middle of winter. You're the sun. It's everything. You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. talking all about the neon demon from 2016 and asking the question of whether it deserves the honor of a place in our movie vault our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time so for those who don't know the story of the neon demon is 16 year old aspiring model jesse who arrives in los angeles expecting to be a, a successful model finds herself wrapped up in a crazy world she dates an aspiring photographer called Dean who takes photos for her portfolio and she also befriends makeup artist Ruby along with models Gigi and Sarah. Amazed by her beauty, Jessie attracts the attention of the industry and experiences the early days of success. Ruby, Gigi and Sarah, however, will do whatever is necessary to get what makes her special for themselves. So this film is directed by Nicholas Winden Refn known for films like Drive, Bronson, and Only God Forgives. It is also written by Winding Refn, along with Mary Laws, credited for screenplay, and Polly Stenham. The music is by Cliff Martinez, cinematography by Natasha Breer, edited by Matthew Newman. And then in terms of uh, the cast for this film, we have Elle Fanning as Jesse, Carl Glusman as Dean, Jenna Malone as Ruby, Bella Heathcote as Gigi, Abby Lee as Sarah, Desmond Harrington as Jack, Christina Hendricks as Roberta Hoffman, Keanu Reeves as Hank, and Charles Baker as Mikey. So if anyone doesn't know, Nicholas Windham Refn, as I said, is quite famous for Drive, especially in terms of, I would say, so kickstart in his career. Was surprised actually on look back that he directed Bronson, which would have been sort of like around that sort of same time, I guess, but it was really dry, the sort of kind of drove that sort of style and the aesthetic that he's known for. That film has become very sort of ingrained in pop culture, made a bit more of a name for Ryan Gosling, etc. And this film then, The Neon Demon, comes out several years after that, and I guess would be classed as being one of those kind of more atmospheric modern horror films uh, so we'll touch a bit on that as well in terms of like its relevancy and how it kind of like taps into that kind of genre um, of late uh, but let's get to who we'll be talking about this film with so she joined us last time talking all about The Dark Knight, which is, you know, much different film, <laughs> a big tentpole film. Uh, it is film reviewer Kletchi Anulo. Hello, Kletchi. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's good to have you back, Kletchi. It's been a while. How have you been? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it has been a while. Um, I've been a very busy bee, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, been a bit of journey. So, you know, we've been out there in the streets producing doing my doing doing my thing and then just seeing all the cool movies that have been out um since this past year so it's you know as always guys thank you for having me back and what i find interesting obviously with your role as a you know film critic etc is that obviously you go to a lot of these press screenings but i think even from like an outside perspective somebody who doesn't live in london it almost seems as if these 
premieres and these press screenings are getting more and more elaborate. It seems like you're having more pictures in kind of like crazy scenarios for some of these big movies. Do you think that's right? Um, Well, first of all, I always feel like as much as films are, or these media screenings are always London centric, I do wish they were stretched out and branched out to, you know, other areas like whether it's Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow, because not everybody, not every film critic can make it down to London to um, see these films and have these experiences. So I, in in many respects, I do wish that was a lot better and and so forth. Um, But I think this year, if I think about just maybe like a couple of months back when we've had um, Barbenheimer, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer, um, um the extensive the extensive like experiences has like just been been crazy i mean i i I don't think i've ever seen anything like that and i think it's actually very very good it's like nice to see these kind of experiences and see how you know whether it's pr or the studios you know going out to to market these films and you're seeing a whole different side of that business at the moment so um I'm as always I'm always fortunate and lucky to be in those spaces so and not everybody can do this um but you know when I do get to those opportunities to go and see these films and experience these uh, um, amazing um temple um experiences it's 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 great so you know I hope um you know sharing that that love and seeing what um inspires other people can can join to be a film critic as well and you know as, as, as anything, just say the word and I'm happy to help out if anyone needs that help, advice. Yeah, it's definitely a, a great element of, you know, like the, the industry. As you said, you know, it, it's unfortunate that those press screenings cannot be expanded. I think, you know, there has been efforts to do that and you're starting to get a bit more. You're starting to see places like Bristol have a lot of like film festivals and this seems to be like, you know, a good home for kind of like screenings of older films and kind of local films and stuff that are happening in places like Glasgow, etc., um, I'm sure if like me and Craig turned up to one of these London ones, they'd be like, oh, what's the last thing you reviewed? Oh, Showgirls? <laughs> they'd be like, what, 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 what are you on about? <laughs> so we just it's, lived in the past still, all the time. It's still so valid. Like no matter what, like doesn't matter whether it's a new film or an old film, it's still valid. You, Every review You can valid. tell that this is someone who has not heard David's takes on Showgirls because I think that that would quickly, <laughs> that would quickly dissipate. I'm telling you, uh, us film critics are a nice bunch, so we we don't do the whole, you know, like what showgirls get out the line, get don't 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 talk to us ever again. We're oh, not don't like ruin that, my that. dream. <laughs> like, I, I, was, <laughs> I was banking on that. I think when we had you on last time as well, we were saying about what are the types of films that you tend to enjoy most uh, or sort of gravitate to. Uh, where does horror come in your sort of like lexicon of uh, movie movie watching? Uh, I don't mind it. You know, it, I'm not necessarily the biggest horror connoisseur, if that makes it. <laughs> There's such a um, a language for it. But I do sometimes like a good scare. Like every Halloween, I do watch horror films like, you know, like everyone else do. You know, Halloween is one of my favorites. Um, but I also like when horror has that flexibility and it combines with different genres. So, you know horror and comedy Shaun of the Dead um I like um you know one of my favorites is The Thing John Carpenter's The Thing uh, and that's sci-fi and horror um Aliens and Alien as well so I love when you know horror has that kind of ability to kind of go in between different different spaces and just kind of um just mess with your senses I think one of my favorite horror films that I've seen very recently um Size Megan, which is really good if you ever see that one. Um, but I saw it last year, December. It, it actually came on Disney Plus. I think it was called Barbarian, and it has this. You know, it looked like a you know horror film that was like, oh, it's just about a bad Airbnb experience. And then there's this like almost like this mic drop 
of a twist, which obviously I'm not going to reveal, but this twist in the middle kind of takes it into a completely different level. And then by the time it gets to the third act, it's like all hell breaks loose and it's not what you expected when you started hitting play on, on, on that film in the first place. So if I have any advice for anybody, go and, wa- go and watch that if you haven't seen it. If you know, if you've seen it, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, in terms of like my um, my taste, I'm open to anything as in terms of a film watcher. So if horror is if horror's on the table, it's on the table. Yeah, I think often we, you know, we you get that mixed and you like definitely within the film critics or circle, especially like you, as we see with guests, especially because of a lot of our recommendations, you know, there's some big horror fans in there, but I think it's because of like people being genre fans, you know, they, they love some science fiction, they love uh, sort of, you know, big action adventure stuff. And then horror sits as like kind of a very big genre, which encompasses a lot of different types of stories and it's like you said it's whether it's playing with your senses and whether you enjoy that or not moving on to today's film the neon demon i thought it was worth mentioning that kind of like this era we kind of are still in i think as, as you mentioned with barbarian was one that i noted down in terms of these films which can kind of potentially be made on a lower budget but have great returns and can be just as successful as big budget films uh, but the fact that they cost so so much less is very attractive to two studios but even though you have films like now you've got like the insidious films and like the nun and things like that i think the ones here are very different in the sense that they can still be kind of like indie almost art house films but they kind of are sold to people or people like them or love them because of their kind of vibe and their tension and their kind of like their mixing of a kind of like indie realistic kind of cold film with maybe a bit of commentary in there but is also like unsettling. So it could be something that's quite realistic in which it could just easily be a drama in which it's like, it's this story about, you know, this certain character or this family, but there's just something a bit unsettling, a bit creepy about it, which I think, you know, this definitely uses. And I think that makes sense to the director as well. I think, you know, we'll talk about that as well, our experiences with the director. But for me, some of the ones I noted down recent years, potentially kind of similar, most recently things like, the menu potentially pearl uh men x uh titan and then possibly before that we've had things like the witch lighthouse midsummer under the skin so a lot of these when i mention in these that's where again the i i you get a lot of kind of different filmmakers as well you know for me uh like the director with midsummer like he's done hereditary and that is something is the classic thing of what i was just talking about of like people being like oh i'm fascinated by what this is saying and what it is showing in which i'm like i don't find that like interesting at all i just like no so yeah you what, what what do you think of this kind of like era what these type of films you know like as you said barbarian you were a fan of you were a fan of those kind of like more tense kind of like tonal type of horrors yeah i mean I, you know, one film that you did miss out is um, Get Out, which is, I think is, which I think needs to be mentioned in terms of like, again, of these new wave of horror films. And as you mentioned, David, the psychological tension and especially with the social commentary um, for me is one of the best films, horror films that has come out in the last, you know, 20 odd years or, or so forth. What we're seeing is 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 a good thing, you know, in, you know, as you said before, David, that these films are made with, you know, with the tightest of budgets and yet they go on to get maximum returns in, in, in the cinemas. Um, and that's because the stories are working within the constraints of what they what they can do. And I think when the when the 
horror is so unique and relatable, then it kind of has almost this nice ripple effect of, you know, the tension of, you know, of how people re- respond to it. So I feel like Hereditary was like a complete mind bender. Like I was, I'm not kidding. I was with my, my cushion watching that film in absolute dread. Like it gave me like a panic attack, like an anxiety because of how everything, it's almost like it's relating back to a human response because it, it, you know, and you're feeling that human response. You're going through the same psychological human response as its leading character. So I think what we're seeing is much more of a relatability horror uh, as well as, you know, okay, we're going to add some moody music because every horror film needs a, needs a, a vibe to kind of go through. And then we're going to have some jumps, jump scares, but I think they're much more intentional because it's, it's like we're, we're reacting to the emotions and how much that story is elevated by what the subject matter is. So something like Get Out, for example, relates back to my own my 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 own community. My as 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 a black woman, as a, as a, as as part of that black community, you know that is relating on fears that we've had since we were growing up. You know, and that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation. And those fears don't leave. You know, we can't just like, all right, we'll just put, we'll just take my black thing off and just put hang it on the on the so on the on the wall. It doesn't. Every time I go out, I feel like it's a get it's a, it's like a, it can be easily a get out situation. So when that film came out, it felt like, oh, this film is speaking to me because I understand where it's coming from. But yeah, it's for me, I just love that we're we're seeing really good like directors like almost testing the fields because most films, because it's so cheap these directors are getting their first start in this, you know, Ari Aster made his, made hereditary and now look where he is now. Like he's, he's schmoozing with Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So these films, you know, these directors are getting their start and they're learning through the business of what it means, to, of what is, is to make these horror films. And they're using their own, whether it's their own personal experiences like Ari Aster to kind of infuse into the horror or they're using, you know, just within the budget's constraints and they're just making good, you know, I don't want to use elevated horror because I hate that word, but literally but the, the good sort of psychological horror films, are, they're taken on a different lead. So I think as audiences, we're expecting more um, and we don't, we don't want films that are kind of like a cheap, slocky kind of, kind of vibe. We kind of want things that test us. I think even like the late, the, the films like Scream, they've almost like taken on a much more meta context because of, you know, how, the world's reacted to horror films and now there's now injected into the into the into their films so it almost feels like a bit like a parody but it still doesn't take away from the essence of what scream as a franchise is so i enjoy i enjoy all of that yeah i think it's interesting and and there was a reason i didn't put get out in there because i did consider it and a part of me was thinking you know i was going to say did that kind of inspire a lot of like what we're seeing now did it influence it even though it's happened within the sort of same time frame i think obviously it's been a very gradual process it's not some like what we said earlier with spider-verse for example in which like that film come out changed the game all these animated films coming out and they're more stylized they're more different i think get out did have a lot of influence but then as you said could you look at a few years before that and also see that kind of like element of like more kind of avant-garde if you want to say or more artistic directors going into horror because now you are also seeing them go into like bigger budget films big blockbusters etc so yeah i i find get out quite a fascinating one because in some ways you can see it as similar to something like uh, a quiet place or something in which also like john krasinski in which you're like oh like this big sort of like name which is known within comedy and you kind of think of it as a kind of like 
sort of mid-budget kind of film, more like American vibes, whereas what I find interesting about some of the other ones, like Lighthouse, the Ari Aster films, um, even Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, you know, he was born in Denmark. And then you get uh, a lot of the other films, like, you know, The Witch, etc. There almost seems to be a kind of like Scandi vibe to some of these films, even though, again, like, you know, Neon Demon is like a sort of an American production as well. So I find Get Out interesting in the sense that, like, I think it led to him becoming then a bigger director when he does things like uh, us, etc. So by all means, I still think Get Out is a lot smaller film and, and similar to these. But yeah, it's almost it's also operating on that kind of like Spielberg, Tarantino-esque, like this is the name director, whereas I still feel, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Jordan Peele, like he, he has such a style and he does such artistic, like bold things. I think he's more like a Christopher Nolan in that way, is that he's making these big, like bold, creative movies. But then I think he's got that broad appeal with someone like Ari Aster. It's like, I don't think you could have Ari Aster make a $600 box office movie because he's just so kind of like you know a particular taste but yeah going back to the to jordan peele i think what he's done i, I kind of slightly agree with you know it's become sort of like the christopher nolan of, of horror um but, that, but, but, but yeah but i i get that i get the meaning but it's i think what he's done is that he's 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 taken what he's kind of built from like if you ever watch key and Peele, and all those sketches, a lot of those sketches are coming from a horror perspective. So in many ways, he was born ready to kind of do, do get out. And he's what he's become in the same way, like how we are all fascinated by, you know, a Scorsese film or a Spielberg film or, or in this context, Christopher Nolan film. He's become himself an d- event director and he's elevated himself through those films. And they've, and they've been very, very success, been successful. Um, whether Ari Aster can do that, you know, maybe, you know, you know, he got, we'll see. we'll see. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. But I think with Jordan Peele, I think he's a very, he's a unique talent in what he does. Um, and yeah, he's a very unique talent and he's showcased that he can manage those big budgets and he can manage those, those big epic stories. You know, something like Nope, you know, it takes the wildest swings, but yet still be one of the, like one of the, for me, one of the best films I saw last year. Um, and that was mixing, you know, a lot of his childhood influences, you know, um, as well as black terminology of like when we ever we watch a black horror film or any horror film, we're like, nope, like we're not going down there. We're not doing this. We're like, So there's a lot of kind of cultural significance that he's implementing in his films that take him to those those directions and people and people support him. People love that for him. So I I'm always eager to see what he, where he goes in terms of that direction. Um, and Ari Aster, the same thing as well. I think, you know, these are these it's a good time. I think we're feasting when it comes to horror, you know, and I think there's, there's a lot of interest right now. It's never stopped. And I think people have to stop underestimating it because I think people like can, you can easily look at a, a film and be like, oh, but well, we know where it's going to go. It's very predictable. It's this, that and whatever. But, you know, I think sometimes, you know, like a good marketing, but B, I think a lot of horror films do take you by surprise. And I think it comes down to everyone's a curiosity. And everyone just taking that leap of faith, Spider-Man Joe, um, taking that leap of faith to actually, you know, invest in it because we can't underestimate it. You know, it's the, and the thing is, is that horror will always find something relatable. 
Um, because like I said before, it's always related on something that whether we've seen or a director has seen or has experienced or something that's happening in the, in the, in the, in the subculture that is going to be elevated. Like something like, I know this is a movie podcast, but something like Swarm, you know, like which was on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yeah, it was on Amazon Prime. Um, I haven't personally seen it, but obviously I know the premise about, you know, a fan being obsessed with a music star, which obviously is referencing to, you know, how, (laughs) how fans are reacting to Beyonce and, and so forth. But there's always clever ideologies that come out of these like these different and unique spaces and it's just how you can shape them into into a, a great story so i'm always eager to see where that journey goes before we talk about story and everything with uh, this week's film the neon demon uh what is everyone's kind of previous experience of this director of uh Nicholas Winding Refn. I know for myself, I had seen Bronson and Drive, uh, but hadn't seen any of his other sort of like movies. Yeah, I mean, I w- the first time I watched um, Winding Refn film was uh, like you, David Bronson, um, and then Drive. Um, I think I was more or less captivated by Tom Hardy's performance. Um, didn't even know much about the you know the real Bronson, so like felt that was a nice sort of um segue in education in a sense and also seeing um Refn just doing these this this kind of moody kind of um piece um that you know I guess I guess you're gonna call it a biography in a sense or you know but I I I just was very captivated by it um and then obviously when Drive came along I think that was probably one of my first early memories of Ryan Gosling in that in that in that role um and just like looking at where he is now, like the the man's like can do serious drama and then go into silly silly comedy, whether it's the nice guys or something like that. But yeah, I just remember like the 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 atmosphere and the mood. I mean, those are the, the kind of the things that kind of came out um, from those experiences. And then I did remember watching Only God Forgives, and not really liking it. It wasn't my wasn't my cup of tea. I think it was, I think it reference work can be. At sometimes when when it's hit when it hits right it's good, but then other times it can feel a bit like it's style over substance. And I think with only God forgives, even though that there was a lot of style, there wasn't really much substance for me. So that's where where my enjoyment comes from. Yeah. So I mean, I've I've never seen any of his films. Uh, to be honest, I've only really heard of his name prominently uh, because of preparations for this podcast. I've obviously heard of Drive. I've obviously heard of Bronson, but I've I've not seen either of them. Um, so yeah, this is basically my sort of first sort of like soiree into his work, I guess. Interesting, because I, I I kind of was in some ways surprised. I didn't know he had done Bronson actually until sort of looking into this film. And once I had seen the Neon Demon, or was like kind of like halfway through watching, I was like, "Oh, this is the Drive guy, of course." Because I think when the film came out, I knew about. I was like, "Oh, you know, the guy who did Drive has got like a new kind of horror film." But I didn't see it when it first came out, so this was my first time watching it. Um, and I was kind of like halfway through watching this, like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't. I'm I'm glad I didn't know he did. He was the person who did Drive before watching this in terms of setting up expectations because I think I'm much more of a Bronson person than a Drive person. Kalachi, had you seen this movie before? Do you had any experiences or memories of it when it first came out? Um, the only experience I remember having was seeing the trailer 
um, when it when it was released back in what was it like 2016, and then the the Cliff was it Cliff Martins did the, the the score for the Neon Demon. So I remember the soundtrack coming out, but I never really kind of took that faith and like yeah, I'm gonna go and watch the Neon Demon. I just thought okay, I had a rhythmic, engaging trailer, but I didn't really necessarily think much of it. Um, and then only until this podcast, then I was like okay, I gotta watch the Neon Demon. Then I was like all right, let me go. And, find find a copy of it and and, and watch it so yeah i think in terms it's yeah going to be an interesting one in terms of thoughts again much like showgirls stuff like that um or brain dead you know i was getting some reactions from craig as i was watching it and i was also having some experiences when i was watching it and being like hmm interesting how will craig react to this clatchy what what is your first initial thoughts what is your takeaways from this film what what do you think um <laughs> It's a lot to digest. Let's just let's just put it that way. There's a lot of things happening in this in this film, and I guess um, to kind of quote um, my, one of my favorite directors, Spike Lee, um, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> like, I, I, I just, when you said yeah. that like a few minutes yeah, ago, I was it, just like, it, I always think of that clip. It's not my, it's cup, not of my cup of tea. It's like I said, I mean, I enjoyed what he did with Bronson. Um, you know, I love that. Um, the atmosphere, I mean, it's, I think me watching the neon demon made me realize like how much I loved Bronson and drive and how much I wanted to go and rewatch them. Um, and if I had more time, I probably would have watched it, watched it again prior to the podcast. But, at the same time like if i want to give some kind of credit or at least what it is good at with neon demon is that it has a great sense of atmosphere and dread because you're watching it and it's like this surreal nightmare you're seeing a fallon in this you know like dear lost in headlights kind of um persona like she has these amazing he has this dream of being a model because she like pretty is the only thing that she can um make money off she can't do it to like you know she says like i can't you know i have no real talent i can't write i can't sing blah blah but beauty this you know but i'm pretty i I can make money off pretty and you kind of hooked in on this 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 style because it obviously opens up with her on a sofa blood drenched um obviously full makeup just wanted to put discrepancy on that um in makeup but it's the idea of that her like her 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 throat has been slit and the blood's dripped off all over it. And it's kind of like this beauty meets horror. And it's kind of like, that's the kind of the cue that tells you that that you're, what you're kind of being set up for. Um, And it's filmed beautifully. It's atmospherically, you feel the dread, you feel the, like something's not right. And the longer it goes on, the more weirder it gets and the more sensational it gets and the more surreal it gets. And then obviously like a good um, wind and reference film, there's a, twist there's something that's like oh okay i and by the time it gets to there i was like i did not expect that it to kind of go in that direction but at the same time i was just like it's a struggle (laughs) i felt like it was a real struggle to kind of get through um it's not helped by the fact that it's a lot of stilted dialogue like very one notes monotone kind of expressions as much as the actors are doing what they're doing and getting the best out of it um but it has a very interesting um i guess fable storytelling about the fame and industry and how um women are treated within that and i think that's a that's a good subject to- topic to, to we can mention on on this podcast but just overall in general thoughts it just it just did not hook me i think at times i just felt a bit bored and at times I was just like, like almost clock watching. Like, is this like when it comes to the end, it's just like, 
oh, there's still about 10 minutes left. I, I thought this was it. Like, <laughs> like that was the end of the movie. But there, no, there's still more. It's still going. And I I just felt like, yeah, like I said, it, I just felt like I wanted to kind of go back and rewatch Bronson and Drive because they just felt a bit more punchy. They just felt more solid. And this felt like more style of a substance, a bit more experimental and a bit more shallow in that depth that it was trying to 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 make about the industry. Yeah. And, and I think for me, you know, saying about Bronson and Drive, I think maybe that is a positive I can take away from it. Maybe it'll make me revisit Drive. But um, the, the problem I always had with Drive was the my viewing experience of it was kind of tainted by the fact that I watched it, I think, with um, my housemates back in university and everyone was really like down on it. Like, why did you make us watch this film? It's so boring, blah, 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 because of like the tone and the style it's going for. And because everyone had bigged it up so much, I was like, oh, yeah, they'll love this. You know, it's going to be some sort of like, you know, Hitman film with, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't. And again, it was those kind of like expectations thing. And while I watched it and was like, oh, kind of, I can kind of really appreciate the vibes and the tone of this film. Again, that's why I said earlier, I think I'm more of a Bronson person because I think that it's a character piece and there's more going on and it's kind of more um, experimental in that way and kind of the location, the character, the kind of scenarios that happen and the kind of circularity of the story, which is kind of similar here, kind of makes more sense there in the sense of like, he's just some crazy guy in prison and he's just going to keep on doing it for the rest of his life, which I think works with Drive. You know, I can understand. I think it's very much like, unless you're on that train, unless you like that vibe, that kind of like the neon, the very kind of like, you know, car going down the highway and, you know, Ryan Gosling's character, unless you were really like, absorbed by that sort of like sensibility that he has you know i've seen a lot of people who were just like oh he's this silent character and look what this is saying and what these shots are saying you know sometimes i do struggle with the kind of like style over substance elements and i think that that is more highlighted here but it's something that i sometimes question with films like this or with drive in which people are saying oh it's saying this and it's saying that and this visually means that and you know what is happening here is saying this and i'm like i didn't get that though and i sometimes i don't think the visual is enough to kind of say these things and the kind of story needs to like you know get that across you know these stories of like fame and you know of like trying to paint a kind of world in a certain way and again i think it's like you said it comes down to that like is it your vibe is it your cup of tea in terms of like do you like your kind of representations of industries or characters to be very subtle or do you like them to be a bit more kind of obvious or a bit more bold yeah i mean for me i think it's i don't mind both but i think it comes down to the execution and then what the sort of point you're trying to trying to make because the film neon demons making references to you know the the modeling industry and how you know sexist misogynistic um how it entraps people or traps women in space specifically how women are at odds or in competition to the point where the neon demon takes it to the extremity where they are you know doing vampire cannibalistic <laughs> like whatever you know cannibalistic um notions where it's like oh she's beautiful and therefore if she's that beautiful then i must have that power and must consume that power in order to continue my longevity within this career that's a lot and there for me there is no because the characters are, are, are almost like avatars there's not really sense or depth of what they are who they are, what what journey they've been on, they're kind of just there in the moment. 
And I think only um, Jesse, played by um, Ellie Fanning, is the only one that kind of has a bit more depth because obviously she's the first one that is introduced and we're following her journey through it. Like we know that, you know, she doesn't have any parents. She's living in a very grimy hotel. Um, somehow Keanu Reeves is in this film and then playing the worst landlord, sexist pervert landlord. And, you know, a lot of things are happening in this film. Like there is like a mountain lion or whatever that is that was in that in that film that ha- turns up in her in her bedroom when what's her name? Sarah, um, upset that she didn't get um a modeling role. She, you know, break you know, she's broken a mirror, you know, Jesse's um cut her hand and she's wanted to sample like basically drink her blood. It was just like it it gets ridiculous and mad. And I think because the more sensational it gets you want the characters to fit, like to know more about what those characters are going for, what that journey is going through. Because right now it's just basically you're just doing shock value after shock value after shock value after shock value. And then once you've seen so much, and if you don't have that tangible thing that kind of connects them together or connects what that group is together, then it just feels like it's a waste of time. It feels like I'm not enjoying this crazy journey. Like I've seen, I'm not, adverse to you know wild experimental films i have always i always have time for it like we mentioned um the lighthouse like that is an amazing (laughs) that's an amazing film but there is a lot of time it spends with its characters so that when it does introduce you know the craziness that um robert patterson and william defoe are going through because we've grounded those characters so much and to know their isms then we accept it this doesn't have the same luxury. It's just kind of like, here's a character, character A, character B. Character B is doing some, you know, he's a photographer. He's telling um, Jesse to take off her clothes and then, you know, basically without consent, abuse her and, and throw, and throw gold, gold paint and take pictures of it. And it's meant to be art. Do you know what I mean? Like it, me as me, I'm there like as as a, as a producer. I'm looking at this film, thinking there's so many red flags <laughs> that's going on in this, in this thing, um, and it's making very good commentary about the nature of the industry and how it does not protect young women but yet at the same time does not give it the grace it deserves to actually make an actual point and why it comes off a bit hollow and shallow even to the point of those extremities i also just think there's a degree to which the film is also the film also fails at fully making that message because some of the other elements they want to dive into as well such as like looking at the way in which Jesse is developing, like, narcissism. I think that, to me, seems to almost imply that she deserves everything that's now happening to her. And I think there's... And I think that comes off as, like, a quite confusing message because if you just want to, you know, tell a story about how somebody is, like, a a victim of the, the fashion industry and sort of how you get into it, fine, I think, go for it. I think up to a point I was sort of enjoying the kind of character the the naive character they were building with her and the fact that you know she goes out with dean and she's just like oh they they think this about me but it's not actually true i'm like okay so this does seem like it's going to be somebody who is just absolutely just sort of drawn in and everything happens is relatively horrific but no she just seems to develop this sort of narcissistic personality quite early on uh my favorite line of this being like, you just want to be like all of them. I don't want to be like all of them. They all want to be like me. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, at which point I'm just like, well, and 
even when she's doing things which are like just she's doing it in a way which seems to imply that like she's superior and then obviously what happens to her at the end is overkill no pun intended um i'm just a bit confused as to well was i meant to be fully supporting her sympathy for her because you don't seem to like this character much at times so yeah that seemed a bit confusing to me as well as the fact that we see a lot of her own psyche but it's not actually clear a whether this is her psyche or not but b what these images even are i think like the weird triangle things we see from time to time i'm just like cool and yeah that's where it does get to the kind of like you know maybe a bit harsh to say like style of subs but you know again imagery and stuff being such a big thing and a lot of directors will go with that you know like oh this means that and that means this and etc etc but that's why I kind of, I agree with you, Kletchy. I think that I, I'm very much, I could be somebody, I, I can take things in terms of them being very bold and very big with their ideas, very clear of that. Or oh, I don't mind things which are more experimental and a bit more subtle and a bit more realistic. But I think way I, you know, sometimes it could be difficult is like you said, either in its execution or in what genres is kind of blending. Um, and I think that a more successful version of that kind of subversion is, as we said, get out is that element of like building up something of like, oh, you know, it's a guy, he's meeting like his girlfriend's parents for the first time. You're setting up this kind of film, which is kind of like going to be some sort of drama. But then as, you know, something's not quite right, what's going on here? You know, as it unravels, then you realize, oh my God, this is really creepy. This is really horrific. The visuals and everything sort of complements everything that you've sort of been set up until until that moment. Whereas here, I just kind of find found it a bit too kind of juxtaposed in terms of what they were going for. And it seemed to be, like you said, going putting things in there just purely for effect. And I get the message he's going for and what he's trying to say. But there was times in which I was like, you know what? I kind of would prefer this to be a kind of realistic view and commentary on the fashion and modeling industry rather than this kind of bizarre extreme version of it which again you know i respect what they're doing i understand the message he's saying but i was kind of like come away from it being like you know what i could have just taken a, a normal kind of approach to this like you know you look at something like a star is born which we've mentioned recently as well it's kind of like that depiction of the music industry it's like you know you don't have to then go into like oh but then what if like her fame was making you know had this visual of her being like lifted up into the sky and she's literally a star it's like I don't need to have that. You know, it's powerful enough in what you're showing me already in the realism of the situation without making it so goofy and silly. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? mean? And the, I agree, absolutely. And I think when it's touching upon a subject that has been done many times before, you mentioned A Star Is Born. I also was thinking like Sunset Boulevard, you know, even Black Swan, you know, those films, you know, I was thinking more, I think he was more closely trying to be like a Black Swan but but didn't really hit any of those notes because it's just so abstract that there's nothing really for us as an audience to really hold on. Whereas with Black Swan, you are just captivated by Natty Portman's character because it is her and her split personality and how it wrestles as she gets more prominent in the ballet career. So if... If, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's very easy to say this in hindsight and, you know, you know, I'm not a director, so to speak, you know, but if the Neon Demon had like, a, you know, an ounce of that <laughs> of element 
it would have been 10 times the movie. I mean, I, I agree with you, like, um, with you, Craig, about, like, yeah, the triangle, What what is it? Didn't have any impact on me. I, you know, it, I kind of thought or assumed it was some sort of transformation because she was, I thought she was seeing herself and, like, she's much more um, elevated. She's much more like, oh, I'm in my own. Like, I'm, I am, I've made it, that kind of vibe. And, you know, and, you know, she's in that that zone of where like this is a new me this is i'm standing in my own new element because the very next scene she's almost like you know um like olivia newton john you know from greece you know like <laughs> the hair's like curled down is you know she's wearing more stylized clothing and it, it seems like oh this is the new me this is the real me but like anything that it introduces it's just abandoned halfway through like it, it uh, before it even completes the th- it completes what its point is you know as you were saying about um one of the lines i mean the other line that that kind of gave me a, a groan was when she was talking about her mother and so, and she's saying oh you know my mom called me a dangerous girl yeah she's yeah she's right i am a dangerous girl and i'm like but i haven't seen anything from this film to kind of remotely suggest that you are in that mode that you've got another um, side of you, if that makes sense. Like she's come in as like this deer lost in headlights, that kind of vibe. And there's me thinking that, oh, maybe she's playing 4D chess kind of game and, you know, she's going to switch and turn and, you know, hey, maybe she's going to murder the other models so she can get to those next levels. But it just never happened. And it was just kind of like, it felt like a sucker punch by the time it got to the to to her death scene because that that's what it that's what it felt like it just felt like what well, well, what's the point and then we've got an extra 10 minutes of the other girls who we've not spent that much time of we don't know what her, what their perspective is of what their cuz obviously i think they were, like Nickers was trying to do like oh they're kind of like a cult of 3 and you know and they've you know they lure other young hopefuls into this kind of cult and if you kind of agree with them then you're part of that collective but if you don't or you know as the as the film suggests they're very much jealous of that she's quickly, Jessie's quickly risen for the ranks and now she's with one of the top designers and photographers and then she's on the catwalk and so forth. Because we've not spent time with them and getting that underneath that that surface of their, that, their mentality, everything it introduces is just absolute nonsense. So it just feels like everything is a sucker punch and then nothing is actually rewarded and deserved. But yet it's but yet it's carrying the, the the atmosphere is carrying it through to keep suggesting there's this dark underbelly and everybody is well all the models look miserable because they're part of this system and then and the wider scale, um, scale where you've got like Keanu Reeves's character the world is just full of you know absolute horrific people and they're all part of this whole entire cycle but that's my interpretation of it. The film does not make that interpretation. That's me kind of trying to come to terms with what I just saw. <laughs> that makes sense. Speaking of Keanu Reeves, I feel like this is probably going to be the best time for me to bring this up. But this film solidified one thing for me, which is that I love Keanu Reeves as an actor. He cannot play villainous roles. He, There was something really distracting about him in this role. It just felt very... He was trying way too hard with, uh, with it. And I was just like... I. I just don't see it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, buddy. Like, you need to go back to, like, characters that just we can agree with 
uh, or are just sort of nice. You you don't you don't fit this vibe very well. Sorry, buddy. I mean, it's part of that dark depravity that um, Wyndon Refn wanted to, to 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 shine a light on. But at the you know, but it's still not given any kind of gravity and weight. It's almost it like it's almost like its own world, and we've just stepped into it. Like I'm not giving it excuses, but it's just that's what it feel, felt like to me. It's just like this is its own sort of separate world, and this is how shady this place is, and this is how shady the modeling agency is, and this is how shady the friends are, and this is how shady like the the absolute. World. It's almost like the worst corner of the world you can imagine for Jesse to be in, and she just picked the wrong place on the map. But yeah, I mean, I was just mostly shrugging my shoulders at everything that happened because obviously everything is severely underwritten. And then obviously one of the worst bits in that, in that scene was when um, Jessie's um, having, well, she was sleeping and then was dreaming about being that, like being attacked and raped and whatever. And then she wakes up and then basically, because obviously it's hinting, um, what's his name? Hank playing by Keanu Reeves was hinting that, oh, this girl in 214, uh, 214 um, 13 years old and whatever. And then you basically hear the, the door being knocked down and then basically it being her being raped and, and, and attacked. And you're like, holy, what the hell? What is going on? Why are you not calling the police? Why are you standing there by the wall listening to this abuse? Why? Uh, that, it's so many questions that oh, yeah, just kind why- of come up here. Why is your response literally, someone's being attacked? I've got to get out of here. <laughs> what? <laughs> Everything's done in such a, like, almost like a passive, very monotone, almost like, you know, like there is no sense of empathy or no sense of just any kind of accountability. So it's just almost like you're, you're, we're visiting a world that has none of that at all. And it's just the worst of human, of the human condition right there. And like I said, like, as if Jessie has just picked the wrong spot to be, to be there to excel her career. But it just, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I just, I couldn't give two dams about it. (laughs) Like it was just, like I said, shock value, but no, but none of the actual weight for me to actually care and then just too many holes for me to really kind of like, but then you could have done this. You're like, whilst you're calling your friend and your be- your so-called bestie that you've just met, you could have called the police and got these these idiots arrested because literally a crime is happening next door to you. And I think to give credit to this film, though, I would say that, you know, Mary sort of chose in terms of it being a better representation of showing an ugly side of like fame and kind of like, you know, exploiting like, you know, women and nudity and stuff like that. I think that is definitely true of this film compared to Showgirls, which we talked about last time. But it's also interesting and weird how both of these films decide, as you said, Kletchy, to kind of go into this like bubble almost and in which they both start here is this female character in which you are following you get no context of where they come from where they live the outside world is a very contained very small cast very inside like certain situations you don't get that realism even of like certain other films in which you can kind of get a broader scope and and even with some films like this sometimes you'll have that person on the outside which is like you know like why are you doing this or you know they represent the kind of the norm the normal but again it's like both these films kind of seem to have all these characters which are all playing a part in this kind of weird puppet show i think black swan is a a fantastic comparison i think actually in terms of like saying about like you know characters who are you know rightfully reacting to horrific things happening being like what's happening you know like oh my god but then seeing it from the point of view of that character and the people who are involved and making that happen and putting you into that situation and being like right i'm in this world but then when we're taken out of it you can see how that kind of like looks to other 
to other people and characters. And I think that as we talked about with like the neon and the triangles and everything like that, I think that that's where symbolism sometimes is very difficult and going back again to get out. I think that that's where shows the peel is so effective in what he does there because it, none of it to me screams like, oh, well, I just didn't get it. Or I come out of the cinema, like I just didn't understand what that was about. You know, it's if there's things that you don't understand or don't know why they're there, it doesn't take away from the experience, I don't think. It's like when the character in Get Out is sat there and he's looking at the stag's head, you know. Obviously, I guess in that circumstance, Peel has set up the entire thing with the stag and the animal and stuff earlier in the film. But even if you look at something like the girlfriend having the fruit loops with like, you know, the separate milk and everything like that. And people have then said rightfully, oh, my God, that's so effective because she's literally separating, you know, the, you know, the white product from the colored items, etc. Whereas, you know, that's not you don't watch that scene. be like, oh, of course, you know, that's what he's trying to say. It's just a subtle thing in the background, but it doesn't take away from the scene. You're still watching it being like, oh, this is a creepy, weird. She's she's eating cereal in an unconventional way. That is on surface what that is you're just looking at it being like oh what a weird weird way to eat cereal she's a weird character this makes sense but the messaging behind that you're like oh this adds a completely other layer to it whereas this is like the reverse of that it's almost like here's the layer but what's the meaning behind it we don't know you know and there's no there's no context for you to kind of like enjoy or understand it without this kind of you know big messaging in what people are saying of like what he's trying to go for and i think to give some more credit but again i think that's the difficulties of this film is what you were saying in in terms of like when that scenario is happening at the motel it's going with the theme that he seems to be saying about like these people who are observers to violent and horrific acts because they become sort of like almost out outside of their body almost and they kind of like witnessing almost saying as if like they're witnessing these horrible things happening within their work and within the industry and they're experiencing that in the same way because they've become almost contained within their body so that scene where she's like up against the wall i kind of wasn't as throwing as many questions there to that because i guess i was kind of seeing it as like oh this is continuing that theme of kind of being like detached from these scenarios and kind of just watching horror but being detached from it because they're almost like otherworldly to them um but again it just doesn't quite mesh together it's not like you said it's not like black swanning which it kind of like makes sense to the character and to, to kind of what you're trying to tell love how you forget to mention get out on one list and you've now used it for two comparisons against this film <laughs> i didn't forget it i made clear i didn't mention it because i knew it was gonna be brought up so this is just I just just, like, just backing that up so okay. So when you said, oh, don't, don't <laughs> tell me like what I'm going to say, I was like, I was being clear that I did not forget Get Out. That's what you say. But I hold your word to it, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, here's all these research notes I have about Get Out. I'm like, see, see, see. I'm like, I'm, I'm being See, here, like, if you, if away, you actually you know, brought like... <laughs> up research notes, I would literally, I would literally come down so hard on the Jesus, it, you're, you're trying too hard. What about that kind of like, you know, we've talked a bit about the symbolism. What about that idea of tension? Do you think that, you know, Kletchi, you were saying that, you know, you found it so captivating in some ways, but then also there is the boring aspect as well, which I also had. I was like, I'm quite bored by this. I didn't even think that it did seem to hold me in terms of what's going to be the twist, what's going to be the ending. I was kind of like, I don't know. I kind of guess I already know what's going to happen. And then by the end, you were just like, yeah, okay, that that's it. You know, it's just, I felt that the, 
the tension and the atmosphere was there in terms of building a realistic and kind of like cold world. But again, I was kind of like, but it's not making me feel like what's going to happen, you know, like, oh my God, something's going to happen at any stage here kind of thing. Similar to like the mountain lion scene in which it was very much kind of like, it's there. You know, it wasn't like, again, in these other films we're comparing it to, in which you're like, oh, it's this weird, you know, is it a dream moment? It's just kind of like, there's a mountain lion in my room. Oh, there it is. And just to add weird. to the mountain lion bit, we didn't even see how they got rid of it. Like, it, I, I was like, no. <laughs> I was like in the next scene, but how, how would you, how do you get out rid of a mountain lion? Like, this is not like GTA, like when I play GTA 5 and then I'm randomly in the woods and then the mountain lion just comes and mauls me and then I'm back in the hospital. Like, this, like, like she sees the mountain lion, they had the, there with the bats and whatever. And they're, we just gone to the next scene where it's just like a photographer, you know, taking the most blandest pictures against a black, black backdrop. It's just, it, 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 I just kind of just sort of shrugged my shoulders. But yeah, um, to me, that was of, the most unrealistic thing about this film. Yeah, that because that, <laughs> I've been on so many sets and there's no way a photographer is just, stand, just, set, just standing there, just like just taking just taking picture after picture and there's no direction no kind of like even the model was just standing still so i like i, oh, was I meant the mountain like, line but yeah i'll also agree yeah, with yeah. you about the photography scene yeah yeah it just it, for me it just didn't make sense but yeah the mountain line i don't i i couldn't i didn't know what the, the symbolism was of that was, but it was kind of scary in terms of like she opened the door and obviously i would react the same way like oh only damn that there's a mountain line but in terms of i guess the atmospherics of where i think maybe that it felt like there's something as you're saying david like this this bubble i think it came mostly from the colors um i think one of the i guess the strongest element that i thought okay this maybe this is this somewhere it's going in some certain direction is the the party scene where it's like sort of early in the beginning and then we're seeing like a model and i don't know i don't know how to describe it like like almost like ascended and there's you know um, if you have if you have epilepsy it's probably best not to watch this scene because there's a lot of strobe and flashing lights Mm. but there's something quite haunting about how that whole sequence is kind of filmed and then how jesse's reacting and then how Gigi and Sarah reacting to it like they're almost like they're watching something quite hypnotic but at the same time they're kind of looking at Jesse and then kind of almost testing the waters of what that what she's going to be coming into and then obviously with Ruby it's almost like I've got a, a new best friend so to speak but we'll see how this kind of this thing kind of goes but it, a lot of that for me just came through those kind of like those visual representations. I think it's probably the most color I've seen in a Nicholas um, Winden reference film. Um, that I can't really remember color being that kind of um, saturated in in those type in those type of films. Um, I feel like in Bronson and Drive they were much more muted um, and much more, I guess, grounded in the world that they're really they're, they're, they're set in. So in this in this case, it felt more like a fantasy. Um, I definitely agree with it kind of being like its own its own bubble, but it felt like its own world. So that's what, like, I felt like it was set in LA or Hollywood, but it's not the Hollywood that you would expect. It's almost like Hollywood after dark or the Hollywood, another dimension or something. And that's where the kind of like, okay, this is where the creepiness comes in. This is where the seediness comes in. And this is where the people get taken advantage and hopes and dreams are kind of been broken and, and the, you know the most deprived human beings on in this world live and thrive and fest there basically um but other other than that i you know 
I mean, just for the sake of repeating myself, it, like because the dialogue is so stilted and so one note that then the atmosphere just just becomes this this omnipresent thing, but never, but it doesn't necessarily reinforce where the story is going to go. And I, if you asked me if I could guess what that ending was going to be, no. <laughs> if you told me like where the, if it was trying to hint or tease where the ending was, no. I was just kind of like. Where is this going? Every kind of second, every second, it was kind of, you know, okay, you're throwing in this creepy uh, photographer, you're throwing in Dean, who might be the most decent, the only decent person there, but at the same time, he's still taking creepy pictures of this girl he met online, so he's still part of that CD world, um, and everything else that just follows on over it is just the same kind of same monotonous kind of behavior, even though the world around it suggests otherwise. Yeah. And like last time we were saying about uh, weird takeaways from films and Mary was questioning my thought logic of how I came away from Showgirls, uh, where my mind went to Craig Revel, Hillwood, Butlins and uh, and Littering. Uh, so GTA 5 <laughs> Mountain Lions is definitely up there in terms of our, our funny takeaways from this movie. Unfortunately, I probably didn't have as many uh crazy takeaways from this one just because i was more bored i'm sorry to say mary uh but yeah i think that the the unfolding of events and the the sort of darker ending it it, it is like oh really and especially it's, it's one of those tricky things of like killing your character off and then still having story after that i think that's always a very risky hard thing to do you know if you're doing it like a psycho fair enough you know and which is like halfway through the film or something but to sort of just kill off your character and that's it you know and if that was the end of the film fair enough you know you're kind of like oh okay she's dead spoilers <laughs> from this point on but to then sort of like just kind of drag it out for another 10 minutes like you said earlier with just these two characters which haven't been really developed enough i don't think enough sinister elements have been brought up about them obviously it's been set up that you know there's some sort of jealousy there they're very vain characters but i even thought i was kind of like oh we're going to really have some body horror here because i thought they were going to do something like they were talking about like plastic surgery and how much they were like shaving their jaws and stuff like that i thought that they were going to do something horrific to her in that way and actually like you know commit some sort of like horror you know body horror to her but when it was just like oh no they're just that jealous of her that they just want to eat her i was like oh okay <laughs> it's a bit on the nose but also just kind of like I, I just don't know if you've set this up you know well enough you know i think the again when i think of you know an example like split in which that film is very much going for that kind of like what's happening on the outside what's this crazy situation that's happening on the inside which does that quite effectively and builds that up obviously a bit more of a supernatural film there but what glass does like really wrong is the kind of fool again like set up like it was an evil cult all along kind of thing it almost has that element to it of you know like yes i think if they had set up the maybe like the photographer and everyone who was in on it could have worked better and i thought that's where they were going at the start is when that character who's like we would love you in the agency and we're going to look over the fact that you're 16 i thought it was setting up that there was some sort of more organized element to it but for that all to be set up to be like oh no it's just these three girls i was like oh like it's like wait, wait what you know i almost expected a glass type ending in which it was like oh no it is this evil society which is all like fabricated this for it just to end on them i was kind of like but oh, also okay it's a bit disappointing. but also the fact that it's just these three girls one of one of whom 
doesn't seem to be able to cope with this and then just i must say this film has the most random suicide i've ever seen in movies like that's the only way you can describe it like she's she's coughing up this eyeball it's just like i don't want her in me anymore and stabs herself with a pair of scissors i'm just like um okay would it be nice if you established yourself as like you know a little bit less into this uh you know a little bit less into this world than the other one but all right fine i guess if you want to just take yourself out of this plot as quickly as possible it's like it's it's like a film that basically was like well we've got this cool idea but we just don't know how to end it. It just felt like that to me. Like we have this kind of like, but it's going to be some crazy, crazy stuff happening. And then, you know, and then we're going to go through the motions and then like, oh damn, how do we end this? Oh, they're just, it, it's cannibalism. It's, they, they, they want to eat beauty. That, that, that's it. And it just felt like it was just struggling throughout. And just someone just gave um, Wyndham Refn a hell of a lot of money <laughs> to go and make, um, you know, an art piece, basically, an art piece that, you know, sadly has no substance and no no real actual direction to actually make me feel like I could even give this like even above a three star. Like it's it's for me, it was like a one star movie for me. It was so it was for me, it was bad. Like I, I just did not enjoy it at all. It's a shame because I I actually thought the beginning had quite a bit of potential. I thought that the combination of the way in which a lot of the a lot of the settings specifically at the party scene i think everything past this point it becomes repetitive of repetitive of style and i think that's why it creates the feeling of being bored that that david had and i can't deny i also felt a bit done with the scenes after it happened but the party scene i was actually quite captivated just because i thought they seem they seem to have nailed the way in which the fashion world can both seem quite beautiful but also quite intimidating and scary. Just the combination of the visuals and the music. I thought uh, when you had uh, the person basically in bondage, I thought this is actually going for quite a good style. So I'm intrigued to see where this goes. And then it seems to all only imply that a lot of that style seems to be the subconscious of Jesse. And then just the actual plot is ludicrous. Yeah, and maybe a bit on the nose with like that sort of like like when they're doing the sort of catwalk scenes and stuff like that. Obviously, I think the effective things are when they're doing the like you can go, you can leave. Like where, at the start of the film when she goes to that agency, she's like leave, go, get out. You know that I thought was quite effective. And the same that happens when the women are sort of auditioning and doing the you know the catwalk stuff. But some of like the I don't know what you want to call him, sort of casting director kind of guy. Some of his dialogue was a bit on the nose. And again, my problem with the sort of main character and i don't think that this is a casting issue i think it's just in terms of like how you tell your story whether it be through like the cinematography or the makeup or something but it's the same thing again with showgirls in some some aspects it's that idea of like constantly being told oh well she's beautiful she's amazing they want to be like her because she's perfect and i'm like but why i'm not really seeing i'm not saying this is a looks thing i'm just saying i don't see how this film is telling me why she is this like idealized thing that that they're painting her to be apart from people just keep saying it i'm like but but what i don't understand where is this coming from because i think that's why in some ways it is a casting thing because it's almost as if you have to cast somebody who's like completely different but because they're all kind of like you know very slim blonde women i'm like i don't really see the comment you're trying to make because to me they are all quite similar and yes there's the comment that they're making that she's quite young and innocent and doll like i guess i kind of get that but maybe you have to go really like 
big with or bold with that idea of like sort of like makeup and the way that they sort of like dress I, her or something. Obviously, they do go for some very bold I do, looks, but I do personally get it insofar as. I think she has a very, very natural look to her. And obviously they make a big thing out of um, the other girls sort of feeling quite fake. Um, I don't know whether that's an unfortunate societal bias thing, but I did sort of, I did get that interpretation of just the other girls look so perfect that they don't look perfect, if that makes sense. So I, I at least got that, but... You're you're right. They they do sort of harp on a lot about it, and I think there are probably other more interesting ways in which you can imply that beauty, um, especially considering that some of the ways in which it is talked about is so heavy-handed. Like, literally, you don't need to have a guy in a bar doing a comparison scene between. It's like you stand up, like she she's fine, yeah, she's fine, but you, <laughs> it's like all right. And it, it doesn't it doesn't help when there's so many prolonged silences in between those heavy handed, ham fisted dialogue as well to 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 like she's beautiful. She's perfect. And, but, and yeah. they almost they could have had the other female characters, like you said, I think you are right, there's that natural beauty element, but it's almost as if maybe they could have done something interesting kind of like with a scene or you know maybe they're trying to perfect their makeup and they can't just quite get it right or so show some sort of imperfection compared to sort of like a more natural aspect of her show some sort of aftermath of like a surgery or something not just say i've had surgery it's like okay cool i can't see that you've had surgery you're just telling me that you know like- show sure, don't tell that's my fa- my favorite um analogy with when it comes to scripts and ex- execution this one was very much telling instead of actually just actually showing what these people have gone through and what is the price of fame and being a model and going through that industry. Um, it's just been told to us, as, as everyone has just said. What I, will, what I will say is that I think the film tries something quite subtle uh, towards the end to sort of emphasise that. And I do want to give it credit for this, if, it's that, if that's what it's going for. Um, but in the sort of like the final shots where i want to say i want to say sarah the one who literally tried to like suck the blood in the bathroom from her uh from jesse's hand yeah that's it yeah sarah that's sarah yeah, yeah so when she's like so when she's like at the end towards the sort of uh, and like gets on that modeling shoot there are shots where it looks like the it looks as if i, I don't know how to describe it apart from it her eyes specifically seem to have changed drastically and it seems that whatever natural beauty from jesse she's consumed is trying to break through which i think is an interesting i think is an interesting idea and i think insofar as just showing like oh okay so that's how like um that's where like the difference in the looks necessarily comes in obviously i think it comes from a stupid source that would have that would have you know benefited from a little bit of of setup rather than just this weird implication of just I will consume your beauty. I'd like to know exactly why the hell you think this is a thing that you A can do, B are entitled to. This this film is just wasted potential to me, and that's the thing that annoys me. 
I agree. I think cannibalism, culty stuff is just always difficult. And again, it's not not my cup of tea, as we were saying. <laughs> you know, it's something that I, you know, those type of stories I find hard to grasp that kind of reality. Yeah, as Craig said, you know, I don't think this comes up later, but you know, they're they're doing things visually which are trying to tell the story, especially with eyes. I think I saw about like how in one of the scenes, you know, the light didn't so bright that everyone's eyes were diluted, but apart from Jesse's eyes, which are like kept more natural, so that she has these kind of like glamorous natural beautiful eyes and everyone's is diluted by the light so you know i get that but again it's like how much is it when people are looking for that because again it's that sort of style uh substance sort of argument also just how many people are invested by that point like i i checked out a long time before the scene happened i checked i was like i'll give it another shot i give it a chance and then we had the weird morgue scene and i was just like nope we're done we're done yeah we're done (laughs) kill yeah that's the thing isn't it it's like okay we've gone here so right necrophilia okay all right take those cassettes rewind them and play them again because it's time for vhs corner So this week, I've been supplied facts by David that I'm just going to talk you through. Uh, The first one, I think, is probably the most important with regards to the scenes that we've just been discussing, which is that specifically the end shot, because the important thing about the filming of this uh, this film was that it was shot in chronological order, um, which resulted in the end being created and improvised on set according to Elle Fanning. So... If there are various things about the ending that we don't think make sense with regards to the rest of this film, that's probably why. Let's talk a little bit now about Elle Fanning specifically in this film, because obviously her character's age is uh, is talked about quite a bit within this film. But I think it's also important to note the ages of Elle herself, because specifically at the time of filming, she was 16. She turned 17 during the filming. And then when the film premiered, she was 18. This obviously had some knock-on effects as to the degree to which her nudity could be shown, which is why you'll note that despite the fact that they're quite happy to show various other female characters and female bodies uh, completely naked, you don't ever see uh, Jessie. You only see the sort of stereotypical uh, camera on head sort of shot. That would be why, because filming a naked 16-year-old, pretty, pretty dodge. So we've talked a lot about uh, Nicholas uh, Winding Revan's Uh, films already but specifically one that's been mentioned less than those uh is only god forgives that was his first film to receive both cheers and boos uh after premiering it at Cannes. this film was the second to receive both cheering and boos i i don't think it's that hard to imagine why that might be i can i mean i'm more surprised this film is polarizing rather than uh getting any form of negative attention but there we are the film had an unofficial advisor specifically for this film which is abby lee so they consulted abby lee regarding a lot of the details of the fashion world specifically uh giving information about how an audition for models would play out down to the things that the casting directors would have on the tables abby lee also taught l fanning how to do a proper catwalk Uh, proper catwalk as a professional model would do so which i think is an interesting way of showing there is a difference between her walking and the other actresses but that is very very subtle 
The favourite scene that we seem to have talked about a little bit is the party scene, specifically the person hanging in bondage. Now, you'd probably think at this point that this must have been uh, somebody professional uh, or somebody quite interesting to do that role. Nope, the person that they had in bondage just hanging uh, hanging from the wall was just a random member of production who just really wanted to do it. Uh, so they ended up just being the person in that. Uh, in that. So I don't know why it's somebody's ambition to want to do that, but hey-ho, I'm not going to kink shame on this podcast. Throughout production, one of the interesting things that Nicholas uh, Winding Revan would do uh, specifically to uh, rev people up, instead of the usual sort of stereotypical action that directors would do, he had a different phrase, uh, that phrase specifically being violence, motherfuckers. At least I assume that's what it is. Our notes literally has a lot of stars in that word. So I'm just doing a lot of paraphrasing here uh, specifically. And finally then, I think the last thing we see in the film is the dedication that this film has towards uh, Winding Revan's uh, wife, uh, Liv. Uh, She also appears in the film as a restaurant guest in the Beauty is Not Everything, It is the Only Thing scene. A scene that I'm surprised I've not hated on a little bit more because I hate that sentiment. Um, According to Revan, this is one of his few films that his wife actually liked. And I guess at the end of the day, despite the critical reception, so long as your wife can get on board with the creepy, creepy things you've put to uh, celluloid or digital or whatever at the end of this film, I think it's probably all worth it for him. So congratulations. And that's the end of this week's VHS Corner. And thanks again to David for finding those facts for me. No problem. Yeah, I think uh, what, what did stand out to me when I was searching those was you know, the age aspect, because actually one of my notes in my head watching it was like, oh, you know, classic, you know, she's 16, but you've hired, you know, a 22 year old or something like that to play that part. And I was like, oh, whoa, okay. I I judged too harshly. This actually was a case of, you know, not saying that I think in most cases, it's understandable why they do that, that higher age, or if they're doing something like a 13 year old, obviously like puberty is always like a challenge in case they, their voice changes halfway through filming and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I actually was like, you look quite old for, you know, 16. I didn't expect it to actually be of that age around the time of, of filming. Maybe it was just my kind of cynical filmmaker brain just being like, oh, she's like 23 or something like that. But- I I kind of got the vibe she was of that age because for what the rest of the film was doing, it seemed really odd that Jesse would be the only character that they would shoot in that sort of, you know, uh, like shoulders up sort of shot um which is why i was like she probably was not of an appropriate age i thought that but then i was also is this kind of again like a wind and refin kind of artistic choice of being like oh well nobody can see you know like she is a kind of no uh, it's, no, it's, it's, it's more to do with safeguarding because obviously oh, i understand why, yeah, yeah, why yeah. the actual logistics the actual logistics but when i was watching it and i didn't know her age i didn't know if they were just doing that for kind of like she's a forbidden fruit kind of you know aspect mm, I, I, I saw where you're coming from but i i still think it, it is basically because of her age and the fact that yeah. they just like legally they just can't do that yeah. as well, if, as long if, as if it there. wasn't for that he would have yeah. shown it basically yeah i also just thought that shot looked quite clunky in the context of everything else that's been done right so yeah. i'm pretty sure if he could have he would have were there any other facts that sort of stood out to you guys? I think the one with about Abby Lee being, because uh, obviously she's a, a model and then obviously actress. I mean, I, I, always, I was like looking at her and I was like, I've seen her face very, like she looks very, very familiar. And then I remembered 
Mad Max Fury Road and then also remembered her being in um what's it Lovecraft Country um uh, so and which I love which I love that she was really good in that so to see kind of like the early um start of her career you know and the fact that she was a model and the fact that she was almost like an unofficial advisor and helping um Elle Fanning to you know do the catwalk and show what it's like about that um what the model world is like in terms of how people would cast and how people would walk and how people would dress because most of the models a just look miserable and they all look very much it was almost hard to distinguish each one of them um yeah so but I kind of like that she brought that kind of authenticity to kind of make that world a little bit more real, even though the actual kind of finessing of that scene just didn't work, basically. But it's not a fault on her, but more to do with the style and execution of the whole of the whole film. Yeah, that one stood out to me as well, because I thought the same thing in terms of like, I can feel that kind of like experience and that kind of expertise is coming through i think that is one of the pros of the film is that it does seem to capture that world quite well and seems to come from a place of like understanding um, yeah which is the edge i would give this film over over showgirls specifically so i think on that i think on those grounds i agree with the assessment that mary made last episode not the rest um i i think there's a i think there's a degree to which uh the representation is sort of abuse in the industry is somewhat similar um so that i wouldn't rank either film better necessarily in that regard um although i guess this one everything feels more uncomfortable whereas i've already made my peace with with how much showgirls seem to glamorize things specifically so yeah a lot of uh, interesting facts there which adds some context to i guess why we have the reactions we do as we said also the you know the ending was kind of devised and know that even the director's wife hasn't liked his previous work so you know a lot of stuff that's showing that yes you know he can be a divisive sort of storyteller um and there's reasons behind the scenes as to why some things appear the way they do um which sort of leads to some of the sort of positives and negatives of the film uh which then leads us to the movie vault which i think similar to last time i might know where this is going but for anyone new to the podcast we'd like to think of this as a time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future so should the neon demon from 2016 gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time craig i'll go to you first nah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, has anyone actually said enough positive things about this film uh, that we can genu- that we can genuinely say, yeah, this is the thing that uniquely needs to be remembered via the Neon Demon. No, we've done nothing but make constant comparisons between this film and other films that we feel have done these elements sort of better, uh, even within this own director's like repertoire of films. At which point, I don't think there's anything that we can warrant wanting to keep going. So yeah, it's just a simple no. Clutch. And for me. Because um, we've referenced this director so many times in this podcast, um, Jordan Peele, it's just straight up nope. Mm, very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to agree. I think it's just because it, it just doesn't stand out with anything, you know, just quite bold enough. There are stories that do things more effective, as we've mentioned. And while it is interesting visually um, or in some of its commentary, um, I don't think it sort of stands out quite enough. And there's just some production and story elements which just keep it from being sort of like a better film so unfortunately 
the neon demon does not go into the movie vault. Do you disagree, Mary, <laughs> or anyone else? Let us know. Uh, but now we go to our final segment, which is this week's Endgame. We're in the Endgame now. Okay, Endgame time. This is a game simply titled "You're in Your Element Now." Basically, what I decided to do uh, because I didn't, I didn't want to dwell on any more things because we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of weeks of like nudity, of like the female body, of like sexuality and stuff like that. Uh, surprisingly, I've become fed up of it, so I've gone what I can only do and have gone into the world of science. You know that very, very non-sexual thing, and I thought neon is an element. Neon is in the title of this film. What I've done is I've found other films that have the name of an element of the periodic table in their title. And specifically, I'm going to give you the rest of the title and I want you to tell me the element that I've removed from the name. And both our get, uh, both David and Kelechi have facepalmed because they. I'm assuming they're not fans of science. This is like uh, when I was against mary on books again i'm like oh no another another topic i'm not strong on it's, it's like my kryptonite right now like yeah. <laughs> I'll give which it a is shot. a fake element remember yes, that yes a fake element yes <laughs> yes kryptonite is a fake element <laughs> i wonder why i emphasized it like that oh anyway so basically um Due to the format, this will be done. This will be a one. Uh, this will be a one-on-one basis. So uh, you won't be answering the same one. It's literally there's two question sets. So I will let Kalechi decide if you want question set A or question set B, and then we'll go through it one by one. So there is the possibility that you might know what your opponent's is, but you won't have the ability to profit off of it. So is everyone clear on the rules? Yeah. Fantastic. But as always, we need to know what it is that we'll be playing for. And as always, we'll be deciding what will be discussed in the next episode of the podcast. There are three films, all all suggested by one of us. And we're just going to have a little tease as to what they are now. To start with mine, I've gone for a film from 2006. And specifically what I wanted to do is because we've had two films back to back, specifically looking at like female vulnerability within... Uh, within different industries uh, that have left them specifically powerless. I've decided I want to go for um, a more combative, but also just generally more funny take on that sort of dynamic. So mine is very much, again, uh, like women in the workplace, specifically at odds with each other and the ways in which their toxic field necessary plays out, but with a bit more lighthearted touch to it, but still with a little bit more, uh, a little bit of glamour as have been suggested by the two films that we've had so far. So that's my film. Kalachi, tell us a little bit about what film you would want to put forward. Well, I've gone for, you know, we mentioned kind of very briefly in this podcast, like how there's other films that have done the sort of same topic, but better. So my choice is not something from your your um, example, uh, Cray, but more going backwards um, to a film roughly around 1950. So I'm going to keep it as that. Okay, excellent. A film from 1950 tackling the same topic, but better. And finally, David, 
Uh, so mine definitely doesn't tackle any of these topics. Um, as we've mentioned recently on this podcast, we are counting down to our 100th episode. So I thought it'd be a good time to talk about a very big and famous movie. This film that we're talking about this week uh, has people being eaten, humans being eaten, and it also has a mountain lion in it. And I thought, well, what a wasted opportunity in which an animal hasn't eaten a human. So I went for a very famous film uh, which has animals eating humans and uh, at the same time creates one of, you know, the, the greatest female villains of all time. So, yeah, that is my film from 1993. What What is it with you and the cannibalism, David? I swear <laughs> to God. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so we've got my workplace comedy from 2006, Kelechi's Dark Take from 1950, and David's Animals Upon Human Eating Action from 1993. Which film will be selected? We'll find out once we have the winner. As always, you don't have to choose your own film if you don't want to. If you like the sound of someone else's, you can go for that. But are we ready to play You're In Your Element now? Yes. Kalechi, would you like question set A or B? Uh, I'm going to go for B. Okay, so David, you'll be going first. Here is the remainder of the title with the element removed. So note the element could go before or after what I've just said. You ready? Mm-hmm. Copy. Um, I guess it's hard not to say carbon, but I can't think of the film, but carbon copy. You are correct. Yeah. So that's one point to David. The film is indeed Carbon Copy. Okay, Kalechi, are you ready for your first one? Go for it. Rebels of the God. Yeah, I definitely picked the harder one. <laughs> <laughs> or I might have randomly shuffled these and I have not actually constructed any difficulty order. <laughs> Rebels of the God, is that, what it, is that what it's called? Rebels of the God. So could this word be anywhere within this? It can be. It can be anywhere. If you want, from now on, I can, I can start putting in blank something. The thing is, you have more of an. I wouldn't even know the film, so like that's already maybe maybe if it's a more difficult one, tell us maybe after if we haven't got it. Nah, mine's gone blank. I can't even figure that one out. Yeah. So the answer I was looking for is neon. Oh. Rebels of the Neon God. I was actually thinking it's a neon, but is that like going to come up because we've already, you know, had it in today's film? I've well, never, it's, not like I've... I, it's not like I gave you like the demon as no. a question. <laughs> but I have never heard of that film in my entire life. So even if I, even if, um, even if I did, you know, if I knew it, then I could like probably hash a guess, but because I've never heard of it, it's like, there's no way. <laughs> David, your second question. Party. Mm, there are so many films, I guess, that have party, but then again, elements, party. Mm. Again, it's just like random elements pop into my head. I'm like, no, can't be that. I'm just like, is there anything else I know which has party in it? Um, uh, I don't know. Gold party. Is the answer I'm looking for gold? Unfortunately not. Kalechi, do you happen to know what this might be? No idea. I was I was just thinking like whether it's whether it was another neon, like a neon, yeah, yeah. neon <laughs> no. party. Uh, the answer I was looking for is sodium. Oh, so it's sodium party. Wow, scientists would love this game. Yeah, clearly, clearly not. <laughs> what I would say is I think a lot of these films do come from like the sixties. So yeah, that 
there are like more modern exact examples that might help you but okay kalechi your next one the ghosts of mountain i'm trying to think of some elements <laughs> yeah you're going through Go, the same process yeah, i just said the ghost of sounds like i need a periodic table in front of me like that's how bad it is <laughs> to be fair i haven't said you're not allowed a periodic table right, hold on <laughs> It's is. just neither of you thought to ask me. I will say I'm not going to wait around yeah, yeah, all yeah. night for you to check all 180. Nah. But... But, so yeah, I'm not. But um... it's like you need to know your symbols. Oh, yeah, at least but... I know the symbols. This is this is like you know I'm not um, you know it's not Breaking Bad, so I'm not I'm not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the title again? Just from from Russia. The Ghosts of Mountain. Random wild guest. Silver. I was going to guess that. So you would both be wrong. It's annoying how close you are to the right answer because the answer is sulfur. The ghost of sulfur mountain. Nothing going to say gold mountain. (laughs) No, 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 no. David, Jason and the Orts. Jason and the what? And the Orts. That is spelt A-U-T-S. Jason and the Agronauts. And the what? No. No, say, just oh, say the ag- word again. Agronauts? Agron is a Pokemon, David. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you one more chance. Yes. Uh, Look, I'm giving you a chance because you're close. That is so close to what the actual word is, but I, I, I cannot give you Agronauts. Argonauts. You are correct, <laughs> Jason and the Argonauts. I was sweating. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Argon. Argon. I didn't even need that. I didn't even need the periodic table. I knew the answer to that. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, that's surprisingly, it wasn't me mentioning Pokemon on the podcast for the <laughs> longest time. But yeah, so that's second point to David. Kalechi, are you ready for your next one? Uh, here goes nothing. Let's go. The man in the mask. Iron. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> See, not all of them are hard. <laughs> David, your next one. Lining's playbook. Silver. You are correct. See, we're getting into it now. We're getting into it. <laughs> I've already used gold and silver, I'm worried. Yeah. <laughs> Have we used gold? Well, I've said gold. Okay. Uh, Kalechi, your next one. You ready? Yeah. N-I. As in eyeball. N-I. Yeah, so uh, I'll spell it out. It's E-N and then I. I will say this is one of the ones you are likely to kick yourself if you do not uh, get it right. Uh, oh, no. God. Pressure's on. I love the idea of just like, this week's endgame requires a periodic table. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Did not expect this. Uh... What can I say? It's something different for what we've been doing recently. <laughs> <laughs> None of these sounds are right. I'm, I'm are, gonna are you do, sure I'm, you don't want to just randomly guess? I'm just going to. I'm just going to random. I'm going to say Mercury. Oh, I think I've got it, David. What do you think it is? Is it Golden Eye? It is Golden Eye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like... So under so Kalachi thinks the one of the famous Bond films is Mercury and I. 
Uh, no, no. Kletchy is a Bond fan as well. Kletchy, shout out to your article. Didn't you do something on Bond no longer? Oh, is it, is a bad time to bring that up? It, in my defense, it's hard to look at periodic table and try and figure it uh, everything and make sure that is there. Oh, yeah. So no, it was it was literally only once I was thinking like I and I was like, what films? Yeah, have, like, that's the what weird I was. I, I, Bond was the last thing that came to my to my mind. Yeah. yeah. So if I had given you the man with the N gun. Would you have gotten gold from that, do you think? I probably would. Okay. Yeah, I probably would. Cool. So we've established in this situation, I'm the dick. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, are you ready for your next one? Yep. My bed. My bed. Yeah. Would there be a film which would have that or is it going to be something in between or before? Um. My, my bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to say... Well, I would imagine just out of the, the obvious ones sounds the most like it would actually be a title, especially for dealing with old school. It would be like my oxygen bed. That is incorrect. Mm. The answer I was looking for, very much like the Simpsons old uh, tutorial video, zinc, my zinc bed. Simpsons references so many times in this. Kalechi, are you ready for your next one? Yeah, let's do it. And old lace. And and old lace. And as in the three words and old lace. Yeah, I I'd like to think you can guess where the element comes in that order of words. Yeah. Sort of. But I thought I'm I'm now traumatized by. Goldeneye now because I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I promise you this is a bit more straightforward. So this is literally, this is literally. I, David, do you mind me just saying at this point? Well, yeah, I get. Well, obviously a, not. And is not the answer. Be a sort of connective. Sort exactly. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh nah, My brain is gone. I can't even figure this one out. My God, go. Okay, yeah, so go you're passing. It. The answer I was looking for was arsenic. Arsenic uh, and old lace. I was going to say something like nickel and old lace. Like maybe it was like an old timey kind yeah. of thing or something. Right, David, your next one. Spare a... What? <laughs> spare a... Spare a... Oh, is it what I just said? Spare a nickel? It is not. Oh. It is spare a copper. Oh, for God's sake. And see, the, the last one, I was like, oh, it could be nickel, yeah. copper. <laughs> All right, Kalechi, are you ready for your next one? Go for it. Cat on a hot roof. Ah, uh, what is it? Yep, that is what I would like to know. Yeah. <laughs> Cat on a hot tin roof? Is that what it is? You got yeah. it. Yeah. As soon as I heard that one, I was just like... Yeah. Just I was actually, like I was actually just double-checking, like, the... Yeah. <laughs> just to make sure. Just to make sure. To be fair, yeah. it's good It's good to know if tin yeah. is a, a periodic so element. I, I can understand if somebody's, like... If I gave you, like, man of, and someone's like, steel, I'm like, wrong, <laughs> not an element. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I promise none of them are like that. Okay, David, your next one. Blonde. Blonde. Which is confusing because we've already mentioned a film just called Blonde. Which is only, um, I couldn't mm, have planned that and you know that. Mm, silicon Blonde? That is incorrect. Uh, the answer I'm looking for is Platinum. Of course, yeah. I was like, I was thinking blonde bombshell in my head, so I was like, couldn't get that phrase out of my head in terms of thinking of like blonde connotations. I was thinking atomic blonde, but obviously that's not an, it's not <laughs> yeah. an element. But that was the very first thing that came into my head. Yeah. So it's like once that's in your head, you're like, get away! I, I need to think of <laughs> yeah. elements, not like phrases. <laughs> okay. 
Kalechi, your final one. Oh. So this is the chance of a tiebreak, and I do have a tiebreak connected. <laughs> and in a perfect moment of fredding the shark, your last film is Superman, the last son of... <laughs> Krypton. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I'll take credit for that slightly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my geek crowd was I was sweating there. <laughs> yeah, why would I like to emphasize that kryptonite is not an element? Because Krypton Touche. Touche. And I'm glad that another thread in the shark has come up so soon. Yep. And that we finally have the ability to coin the term threading the shark. <laughs> so what does that mean? So after seven questions each, both oh. David and Kalechi oh. are tied with three points apiece. So you go to a sudden death round. And specifically, the way in which this is going to work is fastest first. I'm going to tell you a film title. This is just the pure film title. But in other languages it is translated to actually have the name of an element. So basically, I want you to guess, based on what the title of the film is, what the element might be. And I want you to do, when I say fastest first, I want you, when you have an answer, simply just raise your hand and say me. Yeah. Got it? The film title is Up. So what element... Kalechi? Helium? We have our winner! It's yes! helium! Oh, well done. Because of all of the balloons yes. yep, heavily associated right. with helium. Yeah. I was so used to having this like name thing. I was kind of like, what? Where, yeah. where? <laughs> I was thinking of the balloons. I was thinking of the balloons, yeah. And then oxygen was there, like invading my brain as well. <laughs> Did I he felt, blow them up or did he no, use them? <laughs> I felt a sense of redemption since the first time I came on this show, like I lost and I was just like kicking myself. So like, yes, uh, finally won one. <laughs> ever, ever since this has been like, <laughs> there in the David, remind mind. me, when was the last time you won one of these things? Oh God, yeah, I don't know. But congratulations on your first Endgame win. And as we said, you now have the opportunity to decide which film you want discussed in the next episode. So you can go with my suggestion, David's suggestion, or indeed your own selection. Uh, selection. So, what will it be? Um, it's going to be my selection. Um, I think um, it'd be great to talk about classic films because, uh, like I said, a lot of influences with a lot of modern films can be traced back to you know what has happened in classic cinema. And this film, you know, like I said before, that you know, there's been many references. Films have done it better. Um, and I was thinking around what could be the one that um that can set this one apart and what i think it would always tells it better and much more inclined about the industry it is very much female orientated it stars betty davis and it's called all about eve which is one of my personal favorite films all about eve fantastic i've always been I've always been looking for an excuse to watch this film, so I'm glad I now have this opportunity. I've already always wanted to know what was all about Eve. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that we hear about Eve as opposed to that bastard Adam for once. Like... <laughs> awesome. Right. Yeah, and I did say at the start yeah. of the year, I think Craig specified he was like he'd want a few more train wrecks, which I think we've had. And I said I'd like to go back to some uh, old school movies. So good that we've got that in there this year as well. 
So uh, we, we were sticking around the 90s, 80s era, and I kind of was like, well, maybe I'll stay in the 90s with my suggestion. But yeah, I'm glad we've uh, thrown off into to kind of the classic era, which is also good because we'll be approaching Halloween soon, which means, again, we're not going to go down that. Well, I never know. But, you know, it, it, if you're out of the 90s, 80s, like you said earlier, Kletchy, we're not going to get caught in that kind of like sequel <laughs> era of, of uh, creepy horror movies. So, yeah. <laughs> All About Eve, great suggestion. Uh, for everyone at home, if you'd like to catch that one, you can rent it on Apple TV. Uh, you can catch it on Rakuten, Amazon, Sky Store, and possibly find it on physical media if you have a copy out there somewhere. And watch along with us and uh, see what we have to say before the next episode. Honoured members, ladies and gentlemen, for distinguished achievement in the theatre, the Sarah Siddons Award. To Miss Eve Harry. I'm going to take you to Margot. Oh, no. Oh, yes, she's got to meet you. She's quite a girl, is what's her name? Eve. I'd forgotten they grew that way. I take it she read well. It wasn't a reading, it was a performance. Brilliant. Vivid, something made of music and fire. And how nice. After all you've said, don't you know that part was written for Margot? It might have been 15 years ago. It's my part now. You're quite a girl. You think? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You do all that just for a part in a play. I'd do much more for a part that good. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. Go and make him happy. There never was, and there never will be another like you. So, yeah, thank you, Clatchy, for that. Suggestion. My pleasure. I mean, like I said, it's one of my personal favorites. It's, you know, it's one of my go-to films when I want to check back what old Hollywood has done. And it's one of my yeah favorite films. Betty Davis is in, in her prime and probably should have won an Oscar for that. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have um, a lot of fun listening to what your next guest is going to talk about. And I guess similar vibes in which like previously we talked about Sunset Boulevard. So again, talking about that similar era of talking about like, you know, fame and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that should be good. Right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today, Kalechi. It's been a very interesting conversation. We've tackled loads of topics and talked lots about like horror and different genres and different movies and everything like that. Um, And yeah, unfortunately, uh, the Neon Demon didn't make it into the movie vault once again. Sorry, Mary, your uh, crazy horror choices um, haven't made it in. Maybe this one didn't scar you as much as Frenzy did, Craig, but uh, controversial ones as always. So thank you for giving them to us and, and keep them coming. That, that, is, that is a point. I, need, I just need to know if Mary's okay. <laughs> like, we, talk, we talked about the Muppets with her recently. I'm sure yeah. she's fine. <laughs> Kletchy, thank you again for joining us. Um, 
as we said before, you've had lots going on, lots of uh, changes since we last spoke. So what would you like to shout out? Where can the people find you on social media? This podcast is also becoming a kind of a history document into the changes as to Thread, Twitter, <laughs> Mastodon, all that kind of stuff. Pretty, so, I, I can't keep up. I honestly no. can't. <laughs> um, so um, where can the people find you? And, and yeah, what else have you got going on that uh, people should check out? Uh, well, first of all, Guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. It's, you know, one of the best podcasts I've been on. So it's just like always, you know, I love the games. Thank love you very the conversation, much. Love the bands. It's always great. Um, in terms of what I've going on, I'm just keeping it moving in terms of being <laughs> being, being a film critic. Um, there's some stuff exciting coming on as, as a producer, coming in the pipeline, but I can't say anything. So maybe by the time I'm doing another episode with you guys, you'll be able to share more details. But in terms of where you can find me, you lovely, lovely folks, um, if you're still around on Twitter and Elon hasn't destroyed it, you can find me at at K Ihenulo. Um or if you're on Instagram and on threads, it's um at special K Rights. Awesome. And am I right in thinking you've had some sort of like workshops or something you've been involved with as well? Is it in yeah, London so and different places? Literally, literally just finished doing um, an educational program um, at, at our, uh, our studio space at Renaissance. So we have a sister company called Rebirth Project and we do um, educational workshops for young people who want to get into the creative industry. So I did a workshop on um, film, being a film critic and, and film writing. And we've had special guests in coming in talking about being a producer we've had people like Lardy Good we've had Andrew Effer um, we've had uh, Gabby Lafour um, and just amazing uh, a host of people talking about and sharing their creative um, inspirations and the experiences to young people who are interested in working in that field so we've done it for this year we hope we're going to definitely do some more and yeah if you want to hear more about that just reach out with a DM and we'll put you in the right connections awesome thank you very much yeah well uh we look forward to uh, what you've got coming up in the future. And like I said, hopefully we can chat about it next time you're on. And uh, yeah, uh, also you'll get to hear us talk all about all about Eve in our next episode. So we look forward to that. Go back to literally, you know, 1950, the 50s. <laughs> Craig, anything lastly from yourself? Quick question. Is there nudity in All About Eve? No. Then I look forward to our first film in a while that does not feature a human ass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so on that, thank you, everyone. And uh, yeah, catch you in the next one. See ya. Bye-bye. See ya. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.